0: You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where we're taking a break from playing songs about circles to bring you some songs about awesomeness. Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 137, yes, in a row, of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. My name is Sean Engle, and my job here is to cover the Green Lantern comics, starting with cover date June 1990 and ending with cover date November 2004, while putting a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner. And this time out, we're continuing our look at the Circle of Fire story. This time out, Judd Winnick is writing both of the books, as he's writing the Green Lantern Circle of Fire crossover event with Green Lantern and Green Lantern. That sounds obvious, of course, as most of them have been about various characters with Green Lantern, but this is Green Lantern Kyle Rayner and Green Lantern Alex DeWitt. And if you remember, Alex happened to come to a nasty demise in issue 54 in our universe, However, in an alternate universe, it was Kyle Raynard that came to that same demise and Alex DeWitt who got the Green Lantern ring. And in issue number one of Green Lantern, Green Lantern, Circle of Fire, we'll take a look at how these two characters from Altered Dimensions, who basically lost the people that they love that they're dealing with right now, handle the overarching threat of the character of Oblivion. Again, a character that Kyle might have made up on his own. Plus, we're also going to look at Green Lantern issue 137, which is kind of a special issue in that it deals with subjects, subjects that are possibly a bit controversial, but handled really well. If you know Jed Winnick and his relationship that he had with Pedro Zamora, you know that he has a tendency to write gay characters. And as we've been talking about over the past couple of issues, Terry Berg is one of those characters. And in this issue, 137, Terry Bird finally comes out to Kyle. It's a very impressive writing, it's a very impressive story, and it tackles a very controversial issue in a very intelligent and well-reasoned manner. I can't wait to get to it. I also can't wait to get to your emails, which unfortunately over the past couple of episodes have been piling up. Thanks everyone for writing in, I really appreciate it. But now, let's listen to a little more of this song that's playing over
1: us. Won't you? Thank you. I've got to red
2: You always sense a disturbance in the
1: force. I don't like this.
3: Really pissed me
1: off.
2: Star Wars Monthly Mondays, available the first Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.com. On the grounds of Supermates' estates, there stands an ancient crumbling abode. This structure is said to contain unimaginable horrors, certain to chill your blood. Dare you enter
1: the House
2: of Frankenstein! Saint. Don't tell me of it. I don't want to hear. I've changed my mind. I won't do it. In September and October, join the Baron Frankenstein and his bride. Woman. Fred. Yes. I want prayer. For four bone chilling episodes, as they discuss some of your favorite classic horror films. I am Dracula, and I welcome you to my house.
1: My name
0: is Horace.
2: And resurrect and dissect some of the greatest monsters in cinema history.
0: There's an old poem. Even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night.
2: may become a wolf when the wolf bane blooms.
0: And the autumn moon is bright.
2: But don't fear comic fans. This house is full of dusty long boxes containing your favorite superheroes' encounters with the supernatural.
1: Holy vampires, Batman!
3: We're surrounded!
2: Your horror host will unravel a harrowing adventure each episode. Now, Superman, you will feel the bite of Dracula. This house of horrors can be found at www supermatescomic.blogspot.com, or on iTunes by searching for Supermates. Go quickly.
1: Go! Yes! Yes, I'm going!
2: So, grab your crucifix in Wolfsbane, light your candle, and explore the blood-soaked corridors of The House of Frankenstein.
1: We'll be expecting you. Go now. And heaven help you.
0: Meeting adjourned And we are back. And I thought, since this episode should be coming out on October 31st, the spookiest day of the year. We should play a little promo for the House of Frankenstein, the Supermates podcast version into horror. So far, they've done a couple of episodes uh, as of recording. They did one with, uh, oh, not the Blood of Dracula, but the the Christopher, maybe it was the Blood of Dracula, but it was the Christopher Lee Hammer horror film, and they also did one with uh, Bride of Frankenstein, and they did a couple of really great comics, a Batman one and a Superman one that was just Goofy as all kid out, so go listen to the Supermates podcast. I'm certain they have one put out for Halloween as well. But right now it's time to get into my favorite portion of the show. Well, my favorite portion of the show that involves you wonderful listeners. Reading your emails. You've got mail. Pattern baldness. <laughs> And we start out with an email from Gene Hendricks, fellow podcaster over the t- at the Two True Freaks Network. He does the Hammer Strikes podcast, the Quantum Cast, as well as the Legends of the Superheroes podcast. Definitely go check out all his shows. He's a great, great podcaster. Fun, fun stuff out there. But he writes in with the title of Congratulations, and he says, "Sean, you did it. I applaud you, sir. You actually made me care about Guy Gardner. Wow, that's <laughs> that I was able to do that is pretty impressive." He says as of this morning I'm current with just one of the guys having listened to all the episodes in order, holy cow. That's that's quite an effort. I had already cared about Kyle as I was around for his in- introduction and followed his adventures. Guy, on the other hand, was always the loudmouth jerk from the Justice League who taunted Hal Jordan incessantly. Granted he was that. He continued said I never followed his adventures because I thought it would be more of the same. I'm happy to be proven wrong. Well done. Well I'm glad that i kind of introduce you to the less jerky version of guy this was the character that i read and i enjoyed uh during my time when i was collecting comics and so many people think of guy gardner from that era from that giffen de mateus justice league era as being the guy who gets taken out with one punch is just a complete and utter jerk and it's not it's not the way that i view the character. Having read the Bo Smith stuff, he's really completely different, and it's one of those things that you can just... If you have a character who's done right by the right person, he can be interesting regardless. And Guy Gardner is a prime example of that. But thanks, Gene, for writing in. Gene also writes in quite frequently to our Tangent podcast, Parallel Lines, and I really appreciate. He's provided some really great feedback on not only this show, but that one as well. Our next email comes from... Ben Perlman, and he writes with the title, Green Lantern number 129 podcast. He says, Hello once again. It's been a while since I've had an opportunity to write, but I've been keeping up and enjoying your podcast, Green Lantern and non-Green Lantern alike. As always, your reviews cover everything beautifully, and your comments are always enjoyable to hear. Well, thank you very much, Ben. I appreciate it. I'm very pleased that you have started issue 129. I've read the stories from this point many times and still enjoy it each and every time. I'm really looking forward to your thoughts. Having finished episode 129, I have some comments, if you don't mind. You mentioned during the podcast about the cover to 129 having all those characters that were not even in the issue, aside from John Stewart. Note, if you have not read these issues yet and don't wish to know what I'll say, then please skip to the next paragraph. It says, Since I read ahead, it appears to me that the cover is showing a hint of what is to come. Cal and Jay get back together during Judd Winnick's run, which would explain why she is there. The character in the bottom right corner with the glowing hand is Nero from the When Roan Burns storyline coming up very soon. If you didn't know, Nero is Kyle Sinestro, a very interesting character in my opinion, and I believe the beast in the back is just supposed to be one of his constructs. Superman and the JLA show up during that storyline, as does Alan Scott. Nero is also involved in the the pre-Ion story. Well, now that I've Covered all that, and when I got this email, I hadn't read that. But looking back on it, on the cover of issue one twenty nine, yes, that character there in the jumpsuit and trench coat wasn't just some random baddie with a you know nasty hellhound beast. It was actually Nero. And it was it now now looking at the cover again in retrospect, it makes sense of uh, Winnick putting all those characters on there, and it it feels a less well, just less random characters put on the cover. So yeah, good on good on Winnick and Banks at setting it up for what would be coming on later in the storyline. Going back to the email, he says, you also mentioned while covering Green Lantern vs. Aliens that Kyle stated he has been to Mogo before and you couldn't find a reference. As of this podcast, Kyle has not yet been to Mogo. This happens later. The only explanation I have is following the thought that Green Lantern vs. Aliens is not canon as we probably will see at the end of the series. As it says on Mogo's Wikipedia site, this was Rayner's first encounter with the sentient planet, although he didn't speak to Mogo directly. However, due to its non-canon nature, in their next encounter, Rayner does not remember this event. I know this goes against what was stated in the story, but being non-canon, they can say slash do anything they wish. And Yeah, I kind of figured the fact that Green Lantern vs. Aliens would not be in Green Lantern continuity would be why... Kyle has no recollection of going to BOGO before, even though he mentioned it there. But, again, I wish they could find some way to fit it in. They could just say it was an unknown alien life form, but and that the aliens actually do exist in the DC Universe. But rights issues and all that, I'm certain, would probably not allow them to do that. Continuing on, ben says a non-green lantern question if i may i noticed that you have a relative that you've relatively recently began saying consequences instead of fighting mcfeitenstein do they mean the same thing has copyright expired on fighting mcfeitenstein is it up for grabs well if you haven't listened to professor allen and emily middleton's crossover event with michael bailey they did it uh about a month or so ago, about the Kents miniseries that came out in the uh, late 90s. And one of the big things that came out of that was the idea of consequences, which, you know, members of the Kent family would deliver to other people, and it's sort of an analog to Fighting McFightenstein. I'm not retiring Fighting McFightenstein, but I'm attributing that more to, to Andy Leyland and just adding a bit more to my vernacular, as limited as it may be but finishing up, Ben says, thank you again for the amazing work you do on the podcast. And I can't wait until the next one. Well, Ben, thank you for writing in. I'm hoping you're enjoying the shows and I'm hoping you're enjoying some of the other shows I'm doing out. You mentioned, uh, I think listening to some other shows and I've got to assume it's parallel lines as well. So I'll go ahead and promote that as well. Listen to parallel lines with myself and Michael Bradley. It's, it's a great show as well. And I don't know if we I don't know if we've come out with the episode that have said that we're going to completely cover all of the uh tangent stuff, but we are, so if this may be this may be breaking news to some of you people, so there you go. And coincidentally enough, speaking of Michael Bradley, the next letter comes from that man. He is the host of the Superman and Batman show, as well as Parallel Lines, a DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast, along with me, which is great because he Brought me along to do that, which is cool. But he writes in with the subject of Aliens, and he says, You were telling Hero, and mentioned it in previous episodes too, about the Superman-Aliens crossover. The one you referenced was by Dan Jurgens, Story and & Pencils, and Kevin Nolan Inks. It was actually referenced in the main titles at some point as well, which is very unusual for intercompany crossovers. There was a second one in 2002 by Chuck Dixon, John Bogdanov, and Nolan. Ooh, that'd be interesting, I'd have to check that out. He says it had no connection to the first, which was unfortunate, but it did involve Darkseid and the Fourth World characters. For what it's worth, there's also been two Batman-Alien crossovers, a Batman-Predator crossover, and three, yes three, Batman-Predator crossovers, a JLA-Predator one, and, wait for it, a Batman and Superman versus Alien and Predators crossovers, because, comics. I know way too much about this stuff for never having seen any of the aliens or predators movies start to finish. Again, because comics. Well, Michael, you need to go and rectify that. At least go out and watch the first aliens film and the second aliens film. They're two vastly different movies. The first alien film is basically a a horror movie that set the tone for many of the movies that came out in the. Uh, late 80s or the early 80s and aliens is just a fun over the top actioner. I mean it's it's one of James Cameron's best and it's done on a really limited budget but the effects in it are just amazing and it really really holds up. You can see if you want to search out the extended cut but it really doesn't add all that much except little well it adds some drama about Ripley losing her daughter and a little bit of setup of the uh characters on the planet LV four two six, I believe it is, just thinking of my memory. But uh it, both of those movies are really good. Predator Well that's Arnold Schwarzenegger and yeah, you, you know how that's going to be. After that I've got a couple of quick letters from Scott Davis. The first one is about the Ron Mars finale. He writes in saying, Hi Sean, I just finished the last issue of Ron Mars's run, and I thought I'd pass along my thoughts. Overall he did an amazing job, and I'm sad to see him leave, well. So was I, unfortunately. He says, Green Lantern number 125. Unfortunately, the last issue turns out to be a very average inventory story, with Kyle finding some aliens on the moon. Sean, you were very bummed out talking about how Mars went out like this, and I agree with you. If anything, I'll say that the last two pages at the end were great, because Kyle is basically channeling Mars and talking to the reader. He implies that he's tired, and how he wished that he could have wrapped up the end of his run, and that there are so many directions his characters could go. I like how he's basically telling the reader that we made a good team, the two of us, and he didn't think he'd be here without us, and this is where we part ways. Great stuff on the last two pages. But overall, this was an awful send-off to one of the best Green Lantern runs in history. I'll agree with you now. Stating this open in the front, I have not read all of uh, Jeff Johns' run, and everyone lauds that, but... I would be hard-pressed to say it is as good as the Ron Mars run on Green Lantern, but that's just me. He says, out of curiosity, have you read the final issue of Jeff Johns' run? Well, no, I haven't, unfortunately. He says it was absolutely epic. It was a $9 oversized issue where Johns wrap, wraps up his historic run and even suggests what's happen- what happens to Earth Green Lanterns when they get older. It's too bad Mars wasn't given his opportun- given this opportunity to put a stamp on his run like this. So in the end, what were some of your favorite issues written by Mars? I'm going to list some of mine here, and there's no doubt these are probably on the top of everyone's list. Number one, he writes Emerald Twilight, issues 48 to 50. Very good, setting up the character of Kyle Rayner, and while setting up the downfall of Hal Jordan, actually. Number two was Deadly Force, issue 54. Obviously an issue that caused quite a bit of controversy. It was the, uh, Murder of Alex DeWitt, which is kind of prescient with what we're talking, going to be talking about with today. Number three, Parallax View, issues 63 and 64, a great story with Parallax coming back and Kyle sort of cementing himself as Green Lantern of Earth. Future Shock, issues 98 and 99, the issues where Kyle went to the future and dealt with the Legion, that was always great, plus uh, the introduction of Carrie Wren, which is a character that really hasn't been touched on all that much, sadly. Number five, he said, was Emerald Knights issues 101 through 106, where Hal Jordan came back from the past to the present to have to deal with Parallax. It was all time wonkiness, but it was a great bunch of issues. And finally, he says, Ghosts of Christmas Past, issue 109, which was the excellent Jenny Lynn Hayden story where she has to deal with the creepy pedophile Santa Claus. Uh oh. That was that was really a good issue. I really enjoyed that. Some good choices out there. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with those, Scott. But he says, thanks, Sean, and have a great week. Well, Scott, thank you for writing in. Thank you, in fact, all of you for writing in. I'm going to hit the hit the stop button on the email. Well, I can't really hit the stop button. I'm going to stop reading emails right now because I'm about at the 20-minute mark on the show. So let's go ahead and close up the email bag and open up the file to Green Lantern number 137. Green Lantern number 137 had a cover date of June 2001 and a release date of April 4th, 2001. A cover price of two hundred twenty five US and three hundred seventy five Canada, and a title of The Bonds of Friends and Lovers. The writer again was Jud Winnick, penciler this time out was Daryl Banks, Inker Rich Faber, colorist Moose Bowman, letterer Chris Eliopoulos, Associate Editor Michael Wright, and the editor was Bob Schreck. Picking up where we left off last issue, Jenny Lynn Hayden reacts to the proposal of marriage to Kyle Rayner via the gift of a Green Lantern wedding ring in the most unexpected way of all. She calls Kyle stupid. Well, it's not so much as an insult, but a statement that she thinks he's rushing things. Saying that she truly loves him and someday marriage might be in the cards, Jenny says that even though mar- the marriage proposal is out, she'd love to work alongside him as Green Lantern. So, presumably, with the promise of a little slapty slapty boom boom, Kyle hands over the spare power ring to Jenny. Later that afternoon, Terry Berg is arriving with coffee for a meeting with Kyle and Andre to talk about magazine deadlines. Seeing Kyle moping on the couch, Terry asks him who peed in his post hosties, and Kyle relates his marriage proposal and rejection. Terry's reaction to the announcement is pretty negative, first saying that he doesn't care about Kyle and Jenny's relationship, and finally calling her a green-skinned freak. Stunned by the slur, Kyle asks why Terry is so angry with Jenny... And with tears in his eyes, Terry says he doesn't want Kyle to be with her as he runs out of the apartment. Wondering just what the heck is going on, Kyle suddenly has an epiphany. Terry was trying to come out to him. Of course, this is the perfect time for Bohemian editor Andre Choi to make the scene and ask if the two are ready to get some lunch. Kyle says Terry probably won't be making it as he'd run off after trying to to admit his homosexuality to Kyle, and Kyle asks Andre what it was like for him when he came out. Of course, despite all the outward signs, Andre swears that he isn't gay and even turns the tables on Kyle, asking what people would think about an unmarried artist living in Greenwich Village. Later that evening, Kyle is relating his goof-ups to Jenny, who once again calls him on his naivete. Wondering what he should do to help his young assistant, Kyle decides he needs to face Terry and have a heart-to-heart conversation with him. Later that night at the Berg home, Kyle is invited in by Terry's mother and brought up to Terry's room. Getting straight to the point, Kyle asks Terry if he is trying to tell him that he was gay. Sheepishly, Terry says that he doesn't know what he is. Kyle replies that that's all part of figuring out who you are, and if you think that you might be gay... There's nothing wrong with that Or wrong with you It's just who you are Kyle continues saying that he's flattered That Terry has feelings for him But he's with someone Terry is 16 and he isn't gay But that doesn't mean he doesn't want Terry as a friend And to show him that he truly cares He asks Terry to hug it out Minus any grab ass Terry chuckles Saying that Kyle's butt isn't all that great Something that Kyle vehemently denies Touching moment over, Cal tells Terry that there was one person in this room today who was brave, and it wasn't Kyle. So, this is what it's all been leading up to, and it's handled been handled really well. It's not too preachy for the most part, and it shows Kyle, although being a bit naive at times, is very open about people who are different than him. But really, that should be of no surprise. As Green Lantern, Kyle's had to deal with all kinds of different people, races, beings, etc., so having someone close to you coming out as a gay character, or gay, or coming out as gay specifically, shouldn't be an issue. The art inside is pretty consistent throughout the book, and there's none of the majorly wonky bits that we've seen with Banks before. It's going to be interesting to see what the letters column in a few issues has to say about this, as I'm certain introducing a gay character, in fact a gay character who's underage, who's supposedly 16, is probably going to stir up a bit of controversy. I'll I'll be interested to see what happens when we get to that. But overall, yes, another good issue, and surprisingly an issue where Green Lantern really doesn't show up all in it. Not that I'm saying that I want my modern comics to be like this, but it's kind of nice every once in a while where we have an issue of Green Lantern that focuses on the characters, not the big action beats. This is is why I love this era so much. But going to the specifics in the book, uh, let's start out with the cover, which is a decent enough cover, but if we're to assume that it's Terry ripping this picture of Kyle and Jenny in half, he has to know that Kyle is Green Lantern, because Kyle's Green Lantern in the picture. It, in the sense of the story, it doesn't make sense, but just for a simple cover, cover aesthetic, I think it works. So I can't fault it for that. Page one, I think Banks does a much better job at drawing Kyle and Jenny than Eaglesham did on the last issue and the last panel there. In that issue, if you remember us talking about that, Michael Bailey and I, we kind of mentioned how wonky the anatomy was. And I'm saying that we mentioned it. I'm hoping we did because I'm recording this out of order. But I will admit, you know, the artwork by Banks here in, in this issue is a lot better the coloring looks a bit more natural and Jenny looks a lot better on these these pages here. Page 3 panel 4 and there's a bit of I think Winnick putting in his own storyline in here. Kyle mentions that when Jenny talks about the odds of them rekindling the, rekindling their relationship, Kyle mentions that it'd be about the odds of the Cubs winning the World Series and I don't really recall Kyle having any sports knowledge of any shape or form at all, but maybe this is just something Winnick's putting into the book, or maybe it's something that the character of Kyle had known about for a while. I mean, we, I remember he wore that awesome LA Raiders, uh, what was it? Like Jersey in like issue 51 or so. So maybe he is a big sports fan and we just haven't had it mentioned yet. Page four, even though, I've mentioned that the art does look significantly better. There are a few wonky bits. In the second panel here, Jenny's face looks a bit off. I don't think it's the inking by favor. It just might be, again, a bit of that disconnect between the two uh, artists. Uh, it's not the best look, but throughout the rest of the book, it looks pretty good. So just a bit of wonkiness here. Page five, I've got to give compliments to Judd Winnick here. He does write a really good relationship banner. And yes, and on this page, Jenny does come off as a bit greedy, as Kyle's saying, well, since you're not going to marry me, I'm not giving you the ring. But it's all just playful banner between two people who care about each other. And it's not malicious, but it is kind of, it does kind of come off as Jenny being, well, yeah, I guess a bit greedy. The fact that she didn't take Kyle's proposal, but she wants the ring. But Kyle also realizes that having another Green Lantern around, especially someone who'd be experienced in using the ring, would be a good thing. So it works. Pages 6 through 11, there's some really good dialogue throughout all these pages. And again, credit to Winnick writing this character, which obviously has some experience with, you know, dealing with Pedro Zamora, he would know how to effectively put a gay character in the book. And he does it in a really subtle way. And he does it, you know, expressing Terry's feelings of not understanding what he's going through. And he obviously lashes out at Jenny because Jenny is different, much like he is in just a different sort of way. And I'm certain Jenny probably also, felt uncomfortable with who she is, but it's it's interesting that they're linking these two characters together, but initially, Terry's feelings of uncertainty about himself, you know, lash out in a form of him having to basically call Jenny a green screen freak. So it's kind of interesting, you know, he's taking probably what he's felt placed upon him or the perceptions that he has about himself and putting those out on the character of Jenny. Page 13, as Kyle basically says to Andre, you know, I thought you were gay. And he comes out and says, no, I'm not. And he states all these reasons. I wanted to say that that was me misinterpreting things from issue 129, where we first met Andre but I went back and looked at that issue, and it doesn't seem to be that there's really a questionable— that it's not very questionable that Andre was gay in that issue. The way they portrayed him, the way they drew him, the way that his attitude was, it was pretty pretty stereotypical for a man who was gay. The There was one panel specifically where Andre's staring— at Kyle's butt, with his sort of finger to his mouth, kind of almost Dr. Evil style. So, well, maybe he's not gay, maybe he's just Dr. Evil. But I don't think that I was wrong in my interpretation. I think this is just Winnick's sort of throwing in our face of our perceptions of what's going on is incorrect, but the way it was portrayed in that issue, I don't think it was portrayed well enough that we could have thought that Andre was just I don't know, effeminate yet not gay. It's it, it seems like playing with your perceptions. It seems like incorrect playing with those perceptions because in that initial issue, one twenty nine, Andre definitely came off as a gay character and to see him not be that is just kind of a bait and switch. However, I do like that uh, Andre does sort of turn it around on Kyle, and he makes a good point that uh, Kyle is a single artist living all by himself in Greenwich Greenwich Village. What are people going to think about that? Yes, uh, he's dating a uh, green-skinned girl, but if people don't know about that, maybe their perception of Kyle might be that he's gay, so he does uh, definitely call into fact that perceptions aren't always what they seem. So there you go. Page 15, panel three. I didn't mention this when I was talking about uh, Kyle talking with Jenny about his mess ups with both Andre and Terry. But Jenny mentions that John Stewart has a brother who is gay and John recognized from the beginning that Terry might have been gay. Now, I don't ever recall, unless it was in the Mosaic storyline, which unfortunately I haven't read all of, that John ever mentioned a gay brother. And checking online, I couldn't find anything about it, so this may be just one of those things that Winnick is writing into the story just to, to write in the story. And it also sort of smacks of the idea that John Stewart's just one of those characters that people think that they can throw things onto and it doesn't really matter because his character hasn't been developed all that much. Whenever a new writer comes in and writes Jon Stewart, they write him however they want because he doesn't have this sort of back catalog or this uh, history that Hal Jordan does. So yeah, there you go as well. Pages 17 through 22, this could have easily become an after-school special, but it didn't. I mean, The dialogue was real, they addressed the uncertain feelings that a kid would have at this age, and they did it in a frank and yet non-offensive manner. And, like I said, I just realized, aside from Jenny putting a ring construct wedding dress on, no Green Lantern action went on this book. Like I said at the beginning, this is a Green Lantern book where we don't see Green Lantern do anything, we see the characters interacting. And I like it. A lot. Hopefully... One of the things I'll also like will be the ads that they have in this book. Let's go take a look at them. The front inside side cover is a really weird ad for Starburst. It's got a sort of computer wireframe for a teardrop or something, and on, along the side it has a, a ruler graph with uh, various questions like what happens when you... Get scared half to death twice. Uh, There are three kinds of people. Those who count and those who can't. Do radioactive cats have 18 half-lives? Do Roman paramedics refer to IVs as fours? And three out of four Americans make up 75% of the population. So yeah, I don't get you, Starburst, but I love your candies. A few pages in, we get an advertisement for the Tang drink packs with the uh, orangutan holding up a, a giant drink pack capri sun thing of tang there you go after that we get a page for a house ad which is uh for the legion of superheroes the story legion rules a stellar six issue series written by dan abnett and andy landing and illustrated by oliver copiel uh you have a bunch of people uh, not many i know killian pluckett steve Dillon, and john Cassidy. I'm certain that, uh, Shag and his friends over at the Legion of Superheroes blog, or the Legion of Super Bloggers, will probably cover this sometime. Then, oh yes, it's the tobacco is wacko, except, uh, you know, if you're a teen, so basically if you're an adult, smoke all you want, but it's, oh, that's a really weird, obnoxious sort of skater punk kid with a pierced tongue and a dog with a gas mask and a, Got a weird booger hanging out of his nose, and he's hacking up phlegm because he's smoking. I guess don't smoke, but this really makes me want to think of blow your nose and pull up your pants. And get off my lawn. The next ad is an advertisement for Pokemon Stadium 2, which was basically, you know, battling your Pokemon against other Pokemon. I had this one for my uh, Nintendo GameCube, and I used to play it. Or I think this was Nintendo 64, and I used to play this with my kids a lot. And uh, Basically, I'd pick Gyarados most of the time, because it's a pretty powerful Pokemon. But I guess this has the expanded number of 250 Pokemon, including the gold and silver characters. So, there you go. A few more pages in, you get an advertisement for right Guard Extreme... Advertised by Tom Green, which I guess makes sense, because Tom Green is extreme. They couldn't get Tony Hawk, I guess? Who knows? Then we can add for the DC Direct Poison Ivy statue. It's a Bruce Timm image, uh, sculpted by someone named Barsom. It's 89 uh, eighty nine ninety five 95 US and 148 95 Canada. It's a really nice pose of the classic... Uh, DC animated series Ivy or Poison Ivy, sort of relaxing on a bed of roses. It's it's a very nice picture. It's Bruce Tim. What more could you ask for? It's good stuff. Then after that we get a house ad for Green Lantern Dragon Lord. It says before Kyle Laner, before Tal Jordan, before Alan Scott, there was, Jong Lee, I guess Earth's first real Green Lantern, or first first Green Lantern. I thought the Earth's first Green Lantern was that, yo know, one that we saw in that, oh, issue 13. Uh, I can't remember his name. Pulling a blank here, but yeah, uh, we'll be getting to cover the Dragon Lord storyline. That's that's up in the queue for the future. A few more pages in, we get, I guess, action figures, six-inch action figures for the Agents of Planetary. Unfortunately, I haven't read any of the Planetary comic books, so I couldn't tell you who any of these people are, but after that we get a little uh, maquette of uh, Green Lantern, and it's the Green Lantern with a green power ring. Plus, you also have uh, promos for the How or for the Alan Scott one, the Kyle Rayner one, and the sinestra one. This, of course, again runs eighty nine ninety five or hundred forty eight ninety five in Canada. It's a pretty nice sculpt. I think it's uh, along the lines of. It doesn't look specifically Gil Kane, but. Maybe, maybe Pat Broderick? I don't know. It, it's Hal without the uh, gray streak, so you know he's not uh, possessed by Parallax. The back inside cover is the advertisement for corn nuts with the uh, stalks of corn, or with the, uh, I guess, the corn on the cob in jail, well, whatever, with the farmer brown Shucks, I guess. I think we covered this before, and I think I still didn't like it, or I still don't like it right now. But the back outside cover is another ad for Got Milk. It says, banana, chocolate, and strawberry. Banana? Ugh. These milks are tasty, yummy, with vitamins and minerals to help you play hard. Once again, the day is saved. And it's an advertisement for the Powerpuff Girls. And I will admit, freely and openly, that I enjoy the Powerpuff Girls. may have been that I grew up with my kids watching the Powerpuff Girls, so I kind of enjoy it from that, but... Banana-flavored milk? Really? Ugh. Why? But that does it for ads, and that does it for this comic. I'm going to go take a little break right now, play a couple of promos, as I usually do, and when I get back, we'll take a look at Green Lantern and Green Lantern, the final bit of the Circle of Fire storyline before the last chapter. So, I guess the penultimate one. <laughs>
3: Coming in July 2014 to Trenis Magnus Punches Reality, a new epic mega-series. Trennus Magnus honors Superman, as only His Excellency Magnus can. Twelve episodes, all eras. An encomium of Superman comics, the oldest of the old, the newest of the new. A tasteful selection of everything in between. Plus, guest appearances from too many podcasters to count. The fun starts on July 22nd, 2014. Be there or kill yourself. Trinus Magnus punches reality. Only at twotruefreaks.com
1: Hey kids, do you like comics? Uh-huh. Do you like Iron Man comics? Uh Uh-huh. Do you want to learn more about Iron Man's downward spiral from alcoholism, fear of commitment, and feelings of inferiority leading the egomaniac into a life of misery? Uh, what? Then listen to the Invincible Iron Cast Classics Edition and see Tony Stark go from genius, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist to genius, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist with awesome weaponized armor. Relive classic stories like Demon in a Bottle, Armor Wars, Doom Quest, and more. Hosted by me, Mike Staley. So how about it, kids? Do you want to listen to the Invincible Ironcast? Uh Uh-huh. Well, too bad. You need to do your homework. Uh The Invincible Ironcast Classics Edition. On iTunes or at invincibleironcast.podbean.com.
3: This is an imaginary podcast. Which may never have happened. The Short Box Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory. When the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way. Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners. And the great feats of editing not yet performed. This is Ultra Seven, this is Ultraman Jack, and this Ultraman Taro, and this Ultraman Leo, and this ultra of how they spoke at length. This Continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers and the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time.
1: Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox.
3: This is an imaginary podcast, aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Or search on iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Short Box Showcase. And remember, we're not experts,
0: we're just family. And we're back. And as you heard right there, that was an advertisement for Professor Allen and Emily Middleton's wonderful show, The Short Box Showcase. I'd like to promote that show, simply because it's awesome, but I'd also like to promote the website, the Relatively Geeky site, because recently Professor Allen, Dr. Bill Robinson, and I had a crossover with Relatively Geeky. On the Relatively Geeky site, we discussed the first three issues of the Afterlife with Archie story, and over here at Tutor Freaks on Walking Dead Wednesday, we discussed issues four through six. Afterlife with Archie is a great comic, a very unique horror comic. If you're thinking Walking Dead meets Archie, it's so much more than that. Uh, I definitely ask you go check out these podcasts and this podcast crossover. It was great working with Professor Allen, and it's always great working with Dr. Bill. Hopefully I can have him on this show sometime. Maybe he would like to talk a little Green Lantern eventually. But we're going to talk Green Lantern, specifically Green Lantern and Green Lantern, in Circle of Fire, Green Lantern, Green Lantern. Did I say that more often? There you go. This issue was cover dated October of 2000 and released on August 23rd of 2000, had a cover price of 2.50 US and 3.95 in Canada, and a title of Against the Dying of the Light. The writer was Jud Winnick, the penciler was Randy Green, inker was Wayne Foucher, letterer was Sean Conant, colorist Tom McCraw, separations were by heroic age, the assistant editor was Frank Berrios, and the editor was Matt Idelson. Hurtling through space, Green Lanterns Kyle Rayner and Alex DeWitt, alternate dimension mirror images who both lost the love of their lives in the same manner, attempt to track down the energy signature of the dread despot Oblivion. After a long stretch of nothing, Alex finds something on a nearby planet, and the two lanterns head to the surface to investigate. The duo touch down and wait for the storm to pass in order to pinpoint the signal better, all the while trying to breach the subject of their relationship. Kyle tries to break the ice with discussion of the types of music that the two have in each of their dimensions, but eventually talk fears to each other's opposites, ending up dead in a frigid air. However, the awkwardness is broken up as Alex starts receiving a signal again. The two head deeper into the cavern, bantering back and forth about what each other did when they first got the ring, until Kyle mentions Paris, the place where he had promised to take Alex and propose marriage before she died. But even more awkwardness is broken up by the arrival of thousands of creepy black millipedes, which prompts the lanterns to delve further into the cave. Eventually the two make it to the signal source, which unfortunately is not oblivion, but a bomb set to explode. Screaming, It's a trap! Kyle and Alex race out of the cavern, barely making it out before the entire structure collapses. Frustrated over his mistake, Kyle tells Alex that he hated waking up. Because every morning he had forgotten that he lost her, and that was always the worst part. Alex consoles him, saying you'd think you didn't want to sacrifice the person you loved most just to be Green Lantern. Embracing, Kyle tells or Alex tells Kyle that he has to let go of the guilt, the anger, and even the love so that they can move on. Professing their love for each other, the two head back out into space, wondering just what that detour was all about but speculation has to be put aside as Kyle finds the exact location of Oblivion. Using the ring to contact the rest of the Lanterns, Kyle tells them to head to Oa, where the final battle will take place. Much like Winnick's run on Green Lantern, the story here has the writing for the trade feel. Not much happens. There's a bit of character interaction and some decent art, but it all feels like filler. I'm interested to see exactly what's going on in the conclusion of the story and where all this will take Kyle as a character. But this book didn't wobble as much as, say, the Adam Strange or the Firestorm story. Heck, even the Adam one, with its goofy humor, was a more complete story than this. This really feels just like a filler issue. And so far, the Circle of Fire story has been incredibly engaging. And this one just has Green Lantern going to a planet as a diversion. Not the best part of the storyline, in my opinion. But going through the book, I really don't have all that many notes. The cover's nice. Uh, Both Kyle and uh, Alex look really good in the cover. And there's an interesting... Cover logo for Alex's Green Lantern. It's, I guess you could say it's a bit more feminine. The uh, lantern symbol doesn't look specifically like Kyle's. It's more of on a, on an angle. It's not a bad cover, but none of the covers really had been all that spectacular in the entirety of the Circle of Fire run. Page one. The art's done throughout the book by Randy Green, and he doesn't really have all that much of a history with the uh, comics. Uh, As far as I could tell, the biggest thing he probably did was a six-inch shoe miniseries over at Marvel for the Emma Frost story, or for the Emma Frost character, which featured cover art of Emma Frost in the most ridiculous of outfits, but that's Emma Frost, I guess. The art is clean. It's more cartoony than what we've seen in previous issues, but it works for the story. It's not offensive, so... uh, I guess that's all I could say about it. Page two, it is an odd coincidence that in both of their dimensions, both the characters who were, you know, in love with each other, both Alex and Kyle, happened to die and be stuffed in, refri- in a refrigerator. I wonder if it was major force in both issues or in both universes, but it's never really said, and probably never really brought up again page five we get a little bit of judgmentic you know modern day dialogue as kyle's trying to describe the bands and the music that's going on in this time and he mentions that it's all what is it, annoying boy bands and girls too young to drive zooming up the charts so i guess he's talking about nsync and britney spears which you know that'd be about the same time of course in alex's universe it's latin boy bands who like to rap or, I don't know. Kyle Kyle Counter is saying that over here in the States, it's it's white guys trying to rap as well. So, obviously, a little fun being poked at bands such as o Limp Biscuit maybe. Which is always fun to poke fun at. Page 10, the introduction of the little black millimedes, or millipedes, sorry, is just weird. And again, it just feels like filler. It really does nothing to progress the story other than getting them to go further in this cavern. And then on page 13, the revelation that the energy source that they supposedly thought was Oblivion was actually a bomb, again, it's just filler. Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner, and Green Lantern and Alex DeWitt were supposed to go out to try and find Oblivion, and in the story, they don't. In the rest of the stories the characters actually achieved their missions, why doesn't it happen here? It's just kind of depressing. Pages 16 and 17, I guess this is Alex in some way telling Kyle that he has to let her memory go, but this also kind of stands out because Kyle in the story in the Ron Mars run had essentially let Alex go. Yes, there had been times when... Well, actually, it was the beginning of the Circle of Fire storyline where John saw the uh, picture frame with Alex in it. So it wasn't until the story where it needed to be brought up again that we got any in- inclination that Kyle was having any struggle with his feelings towards Alex. He had moved on and progressed from this, and it, it seemed like kind of a cheat of them having to come back to this. But... It is what it is. But yeah, this basically is the final issue which will lead up to the conclusion of the story in Green Lantern Circle of Fire number two, which we'll be covering next week on the, issue, on, the issue zone, on the episode. Plus, we'll be covering Green Lantern number 138. I haven't read it yet. Haven't read it before. So I'm going into it completely cold. But hopefully Circle of Fire will be interesting and we'll be getting to that finishing it up next week, but I'd like to thank all of you for downloading and listening to the show, and please be certain to come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. Bye, everyone. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyrighted by their respected copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcome too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new 2 True Freaks website located at 2TrueFreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for 2 True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys podcast and you can subscribe to the show there. You can search for me on Facebook as well, and now you can find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Demonza Core contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little candy crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and cut back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenlander. The opening music for today's show was another classic by Queen. I Want to Break Free, off their album, The Works. Now, as always, if you'd like to get this album, get this song, or any other myriad song from Queen, one of the greatest bands that ever existed, I would suggest you go over to Amazon.com and download it there. But before you go over to Amazon.com, I would suggest you go to 2 Why? Well, if you've listened to this show enough, it would be obvious to you now. 2TrueFreaks.com has a licensing program with Amazon.com. If you go to 2TrueFreaks.com and click the banner on the home page, you'll be transported to Amazon.com where you can buy any number of Queen albums that you want. All of them are amazing. And, of course, any time you purchase something through the link at 2 a little bit of your purchase price goes back to help out the website. You won't feel any extra money taken out of your account, but you'll be helping out one of the best podcast websites around. So whenever you think about buying music, movies, entertainment, electronics, whatever, and you're wanting to buy it through Amazon.com, please make sure you use the link at 2